Let's pray as we start, shall we? I'm actually going to kneel as we ask for God's help. Lord, on this holy day, we look to you and we ask that you would come and manifest your presence among us. We thank you for that first Pentecost, Lord, when you sent your Holy Spirit and you united humanity and the Godhead once again. Thank you that that promise is available to each one of us. So we ask, Lord, that you would draw near wherever we're at, whether we trust in you and know and love you and are filled with your spirit already or whether we're here for the first time, not quite sure what we believe. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your invitation that goes out to all. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear today and hearts to receive your spirit afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I asked earlier, uh, the beginning of the service, when um, about half of you were here, uh, whether you've been enjoying the Jubilee weekend and watching any of the events. There were very few hands that went up, but uh, we've enjoyed bits and bobs, haven't we? Did anyone watch the concert last night? I mean, I didn't, but was it good? It was good. We caught up, Kirsty and I and Kirsty's parents, we caught up on some of the action on iPlayer. And uh, seeing uh, after the Trooping of the Colour, which is, I mean, it's a bit of an effort, isn't it? Let's be honest, getting through Trooping of the Colour. But we did most of it with the help of Fast Forward at times. Um, but then we got on to the Mal. And I was very moved and touched by those scenes of this sort of, this sea of people. Anyone else? Just walking up towards the palace. And we were trying to work out, is that the general public or are they invitation only? I think it was invitation only, wasn't it, for that lot? Because they were all in suits. And I think the general public who were in T-shirts like me were off to the side waving flags. But it was invite only as you saw these thousands of people making their way up the mall towards the palace. And it just made me think, knowing as I did that we were heading towards Pentecost Sunday, it made me think of... Well, a link between the two, which was on that day, we see crowds of people coming together to meet with or get a glimpse of royalty. But for only a select few, really, to get close enough to see Her Majesty in the flesh. And when the, the doors and the windows open and they come out on the balcony, that's, that's a moving moment, isn't it? We all get the best view on TV. But to be there in the flesh, how wonderful that must be. Got a couple here who were actually in the church. I won't point them out, won't embarrass them. But they were in the church for the service of Thanksgiving. How wonderful that must have been. But it was invite only. A select few. What is Pentecost about? Pentecost is where God comes and chooses a family for himself. But the difference is, 
everyone's invited. What is the point of Pentecost? What is the meaning of Pentecost? It's where God comes and makes his home, sets up residence in your heart and my heart. If we'd let him. If we'd say yes to him. That is the offer. To have the very presence of God, not only above us with God the Father. Every religion under the sun knows, believes God is above us. Think prepositions. We worship a God who's above us. Not even just with Jesus when he walked the earth, knowing God with us. But no, the gift and the promise of Pentecost is to know and experience God in us. Because here's the thing. You and I were made for relationship with God. We were made to be connected with God forever. To always know and enjoy his presence. Think back to the beginning of it all, the beginning of the Bible. The revelation of how it all started. God created the heavens and the earth. And he made everything that there is. And we read in Genesis 2 that uh, on planet earth, God had set apart an area called Eden. And within Eden, he put a garden. And into that garden, he put human beings. He put Adam and Eve to tend that garden. And Adam and Eve, we read, that they enjoyed an unbroken fellowship with God, where they'd go walking with him in the cool of the day. Does that sound good to anyone? Does anyone want that kind of intimate relationship with God where we can walk with him in the cool of the day? Or forget the cool, any time of day. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's the image we have. God's presence with humanity. And yet then the story continues. Adam and Eve turn their back on God. They take from the forbidden fruit and they eat it. They sin, they rebel. And they lose that intimacy with God. And they're cast out from the garden and from Eden itself. And they lose God's presence. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God's rescue plan to bring about that original experience in Eden once again. The rest of the Bible is about God's redemption of humanity so that we can one day enjoy his presence once again, and know him with us. But God needed to make a way. And so in the Old Testament, we read of, of God establishing a temple through the design of King David, and then built through David's son, Solomon. We read of this temple. And you know what the temple was about, right? The temple was the place, well, the Holy of Holies was the place where God's presence dwelt on earth. You see, God didn't give up on human beings. Even though we gave up on God and went our own way, God wanted to be with us. But he's a holy God, and he cannot come near sin. So he established a means by which we can approach him through sacrifice to give him the worship that he deserves and know his presence and know his blessing. But the temple design mirrored Eden and the original creation itself. 
just as the, the whole earth was the sort of outer sphere, you then had Eden. And within Eden, you had the garden of Eden. And then within that garden, you had the tree of life. In the same way, in this temple, you had different courts that you would go through. And you didn't all have access to the same thing. God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? That's where that lived. That's where God would meet with human beings and keep that link going between heaven and earth. But it wasn't accessible to all. So I want to just model this for you because our building spells out, and the architecture of our building spells out actually what this temple looked like. Okay, so come on a journey with me. You ready to come? You might need to turn your heads because I'm going this way. Okay, so the temple had different sections. These poor tourists think I'm probably going to be kicking them out. They're like, get out, get out. <laughs> it went all the way back here because the temple, can you hear me? Can you wave? Is the tech working? Sorry, guys, you're, you're most welcome. I'm just doing an illustration. I'm not kicking you out. Come and join us. Out here, this first section, up until the glass doors, in the temple was a court of the Gentiles. This meant that anyone in the whole earth, anyone on the face of the planet, was welcome into the temple, but they only welcomed this far. They could come and take a look and see what was going on. Beyond the court of the Gentiles was the court of the women. I'm sorry, ladies. I know that might come as a shock and as a disappointment, but God in his wisdom, he had a separate court. This was as far as the women could come. Beyond this, you had the court of the men. And all the while, the picture is, we're drawing closer to God's very presence. The men could co come up to this far. Let's imagine this stage represents another sealed-off area. This stage was the area that only priests could come. Any of you are welcome, just to be clear, beyond today. You are all welcome up on this stage. This is just a bit of wood. It's a platform. And in Christ, we are all priests. Amen? But in the temple, only priests could enter the holy place like Adam and Eve and minister to the Lord. But there is a place even beyond the holy place, the place where God's presence dwelt on earth, called the Holy of Holies. And human beings could only enter this place on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And only one human being, only one man could enter this place on one day of the year, the high priest. And he entered it through sacrifice through the shedding of blood. Because without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no forgiveness of sin. And remember, our sin has seen Adam and Eve cast out from the garden. It separated us from knowing God. This is what's wrong with our world. People don't know God. They don't experience his goodness, his love, his favor, his blessing. Because they're cut off by their sin. But God says, draw near. More of that in a moment. But even back in the Old Testament, God would say, draw near, but do it the right way. Do it through blood. Do it through sacrifice. So on that day, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would shed blood. And you see, it's, it's blocked off. God's presence is blocked off from us. And we are blocked off from God's presence. But on that day, the great, the high priest could enter the holy of holies. And he could make sacrifice 
to the Lord, and he could represent the needs of the people to God, as a priest was meant to do, to be God's representative to man and man's representative to God. And on that day, the Holy of Holies could be opened up, and the high priests in that moment would be the one person on the face of the earth who stood in the very presence of God. And it was so terrifying. They actually used to tie a rope around the high priest's ankle, <laughs> and he'd be attached to a bell so people would be listening out, in case the Lord just lost his temper and righteously judged the high priest for his sin and just struck him down dead. So if he'd fall down dead in the Holy of Holies, they'd be able to pull him out by a sort of dressing gown cord around the ankle, just like without getting too close. This is how awesome our God is. But none could approach except the high priest. And in the Old Testament, we see that God's Spirit was poured out on particular people at particular times for particular purposes, wasn't it? We see that with David taking on Goliath. You think he did that in his own strength? He was anointed by the Lord. We see Bezalel making pieces of art and uh, material for the tabernacle as they journeyed through the wilderness. We see him raise up Moses or Gideon or all the judges. All these figures are people whom God's Spirit alighted on at particular times for particular purposes. But ultimately, God's presence was still hidden, was still shielded from people, and we couldn't get near. This was the temple design. And we read about in the Gospels is that there's a curtain also up in the temple, a thick two or three foot thick curtain that separated the mass of humanity from approaching God's presence. Is this making sense, folks? But we know that sacrifice can open the way. Friends, what happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that God came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who was the true lamb of God, who gave himself for the sins of the whole world, who shed his blood, not only for the people of Israel, because that was God's plan back at that time, although his plan was always for the blessing of the whole world, but Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the whole world, for all who would come through him. And as he did this, the way was opened. Do you remember that reading in the Gospels where it speaks of, uh, as he breathed his last, it says, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You remember that bit? Isn't that an amazing image? Because you know what that means? Do you know what that gives us now? It means that we have access. We have access to the presence of God. And not just that, but that God has access to us. The world he so desperately loves and wants to redeem. All can be one once again. So guys, in a nutshell, what has happened? Through Jesus, the way has been opened for heaven and earth to come together. 
Because God's plan and design for, has always been for us to know his life, his very presence by his spirit within us. Amen? And that's what we see happening on the day of Pentecost. The disciples have seen Jesus raised from the dead. He's been with them 40 days, basically doing Bible studies, basically explaining the kingdom of God to them, how it all works, how his death and resurrection has redeemed humanity and has made this all possible. And he's breathed on them. They've received his Holy Spirit, but they go to the upper room to wait for the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father that is to be poured out on them. And they have a nine or a ten day prayer meeting. Anyone make it to the half night of prayer the other day? Yeah? I know a few of you. Wasn't it good? Six hours of unbroken worship and prayer. Well, let's take on a ten day challenge sometime. Yeah? Let's see how easy that is. The disciples were in that upper room together with a wider group for nine or ten days, just waiting on the Lord, waiting. They didn't quite know what for, but we read about it here. We read that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The sound came from heaven. Our salvation, folks, is not found within ourselves. We live in a world that that says, look within yourself. Be true to yourself. Look within. You'll find the answers there. But the Bible always holds out that the answer isn't found in here. Anyone else know if you look within, you see a bit of a mess? The answer is found out there. The answer is found with God. And faith comes from hearing and hearing a sound outside of ourselves without which we could not produce it. And a sound came from heaven. A violent wind filled the whole house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This is the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As that happened, as the promise of the Father was received, the Holy Spirit who was given to Jesus and Jesus then gives it to his church, the church then rises up and makes a sound of its own, praising God in all kinds of different languages, making such a noise that a crowd begins to gather like one of those crowds at the Jubilee weekend events that we've seen. The place is packed because it's the, the Feast of Passover has recently happened. And Jerusalem is filled with probably a couple of million people from all over the world. So thousands begin to gather to hear, having heard this heavenly sound and now hearing this human sound, they're thinking, what is going on? And they come for an explanation. They think they're drunk. <laughs> Did you hear that bit? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Guys, this is what church should look like and sound like, right? People should wander by, the tourists should wander by and say, they're partying quite hard, what's going on in there? They should think we're drunk. Do we look drunk enough most of the time? Who wants to look a bit more drunk, not be drunk, who wants to look more drunk in the spirit, in God's presence, than we currently are? Amen? Peter needs to get up and say, raise his voice and say, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) I always read that nervously, thinking, Peter, he obviously didn't know how to party, mate. Um, Because nowadays, we know that they might well just not have gone to bed. But clearly back then, they did call it a night, about midnight. His point being, it's the start of the day. 
They haven't been partying all night. He goes on to explain, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And folks, this is where it gets exciting for us. Because Peter says, quoting Joel, in the last days, God says, and we are in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Anyone in here a son or a daughter? (laughs) Amen. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Anyone in here a young man? Your old men will dream dreams. Any old men out there? Any middle-aged men? Come on, guys. Here we go. Even on my servants, both men and women, the women who were separated by a separate court, they can come in. Even on my men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This is the God who reigns, who created it all, who is awesome. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, a day yet to come when Christ comes again. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, let me be clear. We're not in this game. We're not in this church today just because we like buildings or we like community and have found some friends here or we like even the songs we sing or the coffee we drink at the end. We're here because there is a God to connect with and because we need our souls to be saved. This is what the Bible makes clear. Jesus didn't come to give advice. He didn't come to share his opinion. He didn't come to rub shoulders as equals with us, saying, you're doing a good job and here's my thoughts. You might want to take some on board. He came as a savior. And every single person on the face of the earth needs God's mercy and salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. And it is found in him alone. As I come into land, this is why Peter quotes the prophet David, King David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus Christ. And yet, David spoke of himself as if I'm going to live forever. David said, I saw the Lord always before me. This is David writing. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave. Who else doesn't want to be abandoned to the grave in here today? Amen? We want to live forever. David was the same. He sensed it. He felt it for himself. My body will also live in hope. You won't abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. He felt it was him. And yet Peter gets up and says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. What's Peter saying? He's saying, These words, even though David spoke them as if they were true of him, these words weren't for David. Because David's dead and he's buried over there. You can go and visit his grave. No, these words spoke of another who was to come. The son of David. A greater king. One who truly would defeat the grave and rise again. Peter says, but God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Folks, what am I saying? I'm saying the entry into this life of God that deep down we so desperately want and that everyone in the world is looking for, the desire of our hearts, the entry into that 
is through Jesus, Peter says, because of his resurrection, because of his ascension. He goes on to quote David saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David feels it's for him. Peter's point again, no, David is dead and buried. He is neither raised nor has he ascended. But Jesus the Christ has done both. Are you getting this, folks? Are you seeing why it's all about Jesus Christ? His death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven where he is right now. And because he's there, he can pour out the Holy Spirit on all who come to him, on all who look to him. As the people, the Jews, as they heard this message from Peter, basically saying, look, Jesus really was your Messiah. He really was your king. And you really did nail him to a cross. It was no surprise that we read that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They're saying, what can we do to be saved? Peter says, repent and believe the good news. And you can receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. You can receive the Spirit that now is active throughout the world. And God's promise to come and fill his children. Let me ask you, my friends, are you thirsty this morning? Are you hungry for more of God in your lives? Are you hungry to perhaps experience him for the first time? Perhaps you never have. You can know that today. You can receive that gift today. That's what Pentecost is all about. God wanting to come and build his family. God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, let's not keep this good stuff amongst ourselves. Let's go and bring other people into our divine life. Because when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you live in God. Are you with me? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it mind-blowing that the presence of God can be with us on the face of the earth once again because the Spirit can be in us. And when we look to Jesus Christ, when we receive the Son, we receive everything that He has, that He is. And He can pour out His Holy Spirit on us. And we get to live the life of God, the life that deep down you want to live. We get to look more like Jesus, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more generous, more kind, kinder, more good, better. All the fruit of the Spirit, right? Gentleness, self-control, all the most beautiful qualities that we admire in others, that we admire in Her Majesty the Queen, that are ultimately embodied in Jesus Christ, we can know those fruits in our own lives because the Spirit brings it about. Does that sound exciting to you? Should we ask for God to move and fill us afresh this morning? I admire your excitement. (laughs) Should we ask him? Wonderful. Let's stand together.